until you'll have that. A podcast about adults in school, death sometimes, chickens sometimes. I'm your host, Emily Loveless. I am a 32, almost 32. Oh my god, aging, aging, ugh, mortality, ugh. Uh, okay, 32, almost, I'm a nearly 32-year-old return college student, pre-engineering, and um, I'm here today to talk about all that junk I said I was going to talk about. I'm going to try and keep it brief here in this intro today because the interview we have is super long but so good and I want you to listen to all of it. Today I am going to be talking to you, the fabulous Coco James, but before we get to that, uh, you know I had spring break a couple of weeks ago and it made me want to quit school. School is so much work and there are like deadlines and those discussions that you guys know I just love so much. I just get so much out of them. Wow, I just learn about the earth and feelings. It's so great. History. Wow. And spring break was this time of like planning my garden, actually cleaning my house, being with my family and friends, self-reflection, not meditation or exercise or, you know, healthy stuff really, I guess, but, you know, mentally healthy stuff. And it felt so good that I'm like, I'm just dropping out because I just, you know, after the semester, that's it. I'm done. Do I really want to get this? And then, of course, I get back into school and it feels really good to do the work and be checking off these boxes and, you know, learning new things. That's cool. And, you know, after this semester, wow, that's going to be really awesome that I will have completed a semester of college successfully. And I'm going to be registered for summer and fall. And oh, so awesome. I'm going to have a degree one day. So I'm not going to quit school. But, you know, again, it's the balance thing, right? How can I do all of that? and be awesome at school. I'm not actually going to be that awesome at school. I'm going to end this semester with an A in my physical geography class and a B in my history class, an A minus if I ace the final, but this is an incredibly difficult course and I don't think I'm going to ace the final. I think I'll do well. I've been studying and I'm going to keep studying, but it's hard for me to accept a B, which is weird because before this, you know, like there were classes that I just, you know, outright failed or got unofficial withdrawals because I just quit because I couldn't hack it. So it's really weird to have this pressure on me or putting on myself to have a perfect 4.0 GPA. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it's probably not that weird. I'm probably trying to combat the vision I have of myself as being a failure by showing myself how perfect I can be. But the, you know, wiser path is probably the middle road and saying a B in a really tough course is a really good grade, right? Still a really good grade, a B. It's just, it's hard to accept because I really thought up until last week when I caught a Honestly, I bombed a quiz. I just didn't. History is a difficult subject for me. I have a hard time remembering the connections between people and empires and all of this. Things that are, science is more straightforward and I think I can understand it more. Or maybe, I, I don't know. Anyway, I am having a hard time in this class. So a B is something to celebrate. I got an A on my first ever paper I've ever written because before this I have taken some courses, but... 
none that required this much of me and I got an A on my paper and that was very gratifying because I worked my ass off on that thing hours and hours and it was hard and I I didn't know exactly what to expect. I spent a lot of time reading articles online that were just like, how do I write a college essay? <laughs> you know, because I don't know. I don't have that basic foundation, which means I should probably start on my English courses this fall so I can get more of what I need and be better in that. See, general education strikes again. Lots of good stuff there. Um, we got some new chickens. After Elvis died, we were pretty sad because she was such a cute, sweet little thing. Uh, so we decided we needed new chickens, but we're not going to get, we didn't want to get chicks because we wanted them to already be laying. And also it's kind of like warm and fuzzy to go get some, some lady hens that are already big that, you know, every, this time of year everybody's buying chicks and we're like, let's get some hens. That's, that feels good. It's almost like adopting a rescue animal or something to get these hens. And they're cute. One of them is just super loud and sounds like a rooster. And um, she's just super loud. The other one is really flighty and keeps laying eggs with no shells, which is a problem we're solving. But um, they're really cute birdies. Uh, I'll post a picture of them on the Patreon. They're, they're, they're pretty birdies. And they will eventually get along with Bok Bok, Chicken A, Primary Chicken. We're a little bit afraid because Bok Bok's kind of smaller than them, that maybe these chickens are going to bully Bok Bok. But it's her home turf, and I feel weirdly protective of this chicken. I call her the beautiful lady, and, you know, she has kind of, like, dominion over the backyard because she was here first, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm really anthropomorphizing this chicken. Uh, my mental health has been really good lately because spring dang sprung, and you can actually go outside, and I'm planting a lot of things, and feels super awesome to like be in the world and not want to you know just die inside in the winter so that's great doesn't mean there isn't anxiety there still that's kind of like an undercurrent that might never go away it's an aquifer deep in my brain there's like that like just in case we ever need some oh man anxiety it's a non-renewable resource so we got to tap into that anxiety aquifer good thing it's still there right oh geez yeah so yeah, that's where we are there. Uh, tell me about your mental health. Download the Anchor app and record a message or send me an email. You'll have that podcast at gmail.com. Lots of you have been emailing me and it is awesome. It is fantastic. I really like hearing from you and hearing your responses to what the guests are saying. And um, it just tickles me pink. I just really like it. You know, just talk to me. Talk to me. I like it. I'm going to regret saying that when I hear myself having said that in that voice. It's I'm going to cringe until I'm just like a crunchy little cracker. Ugh. Well, so like I said, trying to keep this brief, we've got Coco James and we have about an hour long recording with her. When I asked Coco to send me a bio that I could look at and, you know, use as inspiration for questions and stuff. She sent me this amazing thing that uh, basically made me say, are we the same person? Her timeline is so similar to mine up until, you know, she gets her PhD. Coco James, high school dropout turned PhD candidate, left high school her junior year to have a baby and focus on raising a family. She marinated in the stigma and shame of teen mom and high school dropout for 13 years before going back 
to adult high school and graduating in 2007. Immediately upon graduating, Coco registered at Salt Lake Community College and has never stopped registering for the next step. Coco will receive her PhD upon the successful defense of her dissertation scheduled for May 2019. So that's really soon. So congrats, Coco. You've worked your ass off and you are an awesome person. And this was a very validating conversation for me because I had kind of thought like, okay, I have to go balls to the wall really hard as soon as Solly is in school. My youngest son, he starts kindergarten this fall, but it didn't feel right. And I just, it didn't feel right because I feel like I still am needed by these kiddos quite a bit. And I didn't want to not be as available to them as they needed me to be because I have been for all of Solly's life and like the majority of Hannah's at this point been a stay-at-home parent and they have needed me it's just so I didn't want to give that up and hearing her say that she took things small bites at a time until her youngest was at the age that she thought she could go full-time that was good to hear like just because you go back and you pursue something doesn't mean you have to go full force It's okay to be a little bit slower and more deliberate. It's okay if it still takes a long time. Like, I'm never going to be a, you know, 22-year-old college grad. I will never achieve that. And so going full force, trying to take, you know, 15, 17 hour, credit hour semesters is just, it's not going to get me much more than taking a little more time with it will. I'll get there sooner that way, but... I'm going to lose a lot in the interim. I only have four years left of Hannah being in this house, which just blows my mind. But that's the reality, and I I don't want to miss a lot of that because I'm stressed out and I have to do other things. So I'm trying to find that balance between doing enough so I feel satisfied in my progress and not doing so much that I'm I'm burned out for this for the greatest part of my fam- my life, which is my family. So it's an interesting balance. Um, She talks about shame. We talk about shame, which is, um, I think it's a big part of, you know, smart people who do not have an education. We experience a lot of shame around that and whether it's, you know, societally input or it's just our own expectations for ourselves. I don't know, but we get into that and that's really cool. So stick around. We're going to talk to the fabulous soon to be Dr. Coco and, uh, She gets into some good stuff, so it's worth the hour, I promise. All right, folks, we'll talk after. Hello. Good morning, Coco James. (laughs) How are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I am also well. I have headphones with a mic. Does this work? This works great. Can you hear me? I can hear you perfectly. Great. I can also hear you perfectly with my great ears. Okay. (laughs) Well, good morning. I'm partly deaf, but you know. Oh, that's right. I forgot that, but you can hear today. Well, that's okay. Well, welcome to You'll Have That. Thanks for coming on. Coco, not just a delicious beverage, also a real human who is awesome and interesting. (laughs) Thank you. And did some, is doing some education post, post, post high school. So... (laughs) Um, so, uh, tell us a little bit about you. What, why am I talking to you today? What, uh, what's your, what's your whole, uh, education, you know, early soupy stuff? 
Well, I, I dropped out of high school when I was 16 to have a baby. And um, then I was a high school dropout and a teen mom for 13 years. And I really marinated in that stigma. And I use that word specifically because it imbued me completely to feel that shame and that social stigma and the belief that I couldn't do things and that I wasn't smart and didn't contribute. Mm. And so, yeah, it was really tough. Um, and I went back to school when my youngest son was in first grade and I went to, I went to an adult high school to finish. I, for some reason, I didn't want to do the GED. And when I look back now, it was ridiculous because I spent an entire year finishing up my high school education when I could have just taken the GED and registered at Salt Lake Community College, which is where I ultimately went. But for some reason, I didn't do that. So I spent a year in adult high school and graduated in 2007 and then immediately registered for um, classes at SLIC. And I've just never stopped registering. I've had in that time, I've had two summers off, one between my associates and my bachelor's degree and one between my um, bachelor's and my master's. But other than that, I've gone to school every semester since then. So it's been a long road. Good Lord. That's like 12 years. Wow. Yeah, it is. I know. <laughs> but this is my last semester. Hopefully I'll defend my dissertation in May and then in summer I'll just be writing. So Woohoo! And you'll be Dr. Coco. Yes, James. I'll be Dr. Brad. Coco. I know. Doesn't that sound cool? <laughs> that sounds really cool. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, that's interesting. That's like a very similar to my own education experience, dropping out and having a baby 13 years later, going back. Mm -hmm. Um, Man, and the stigma and the shame of it, yeah, that is real. That's tangible. That you was felt like, that too, absolutely. And yeah. uh, and only being back in school did anything to diminish it. Nobody could tell me anything <laughs> to help me feel better. You know, I couldn't get there myself. I had to go to school. Right, and I had to do remedial math for a year and a half. Mm -hmm. So I did a full, you know, three semesters of of. I mean, I was paying college tuition for these you know math courses that were below 1010 and mm. that almost stopped me actually because I felt so dumb about that and it felt like it reaffirmed all of these things I had believed about myself and I almost I almost didn't finish it slick because of those math classes because they made me feel so dumb I was capable in them and I got A's in them and I was fine but it, it was a mental hurdle I really had to get through to have that stigma and then be in remedial math for all that time was hard. Oh yeah. It's, it's a, it's an uphill climb when you first get back, especially in, I think math and English for a lot of people, cause mm -hmm. there's a muscle that you're not flexing, right? Right. You're not so in school and writing it. and yeah, mm -hmm. that's interesting. I feel that way. I'm writing my first ever paper in my history oh, class <laughs> and I like I've asked all these people that I love and respect and have you know English degrees <laughs> like will you read my paper and help me with this but also I'm like please don't read my paper I think I might be <laughs> stupid <laughs> you know there's a I have a, a professor um she's actually on my dissertation committee and she I, I took every class she ever offered um I always say that she changed me both as a scholar and a human and she really did and one thing that she always coached all of her students to do was find a way to offer your writing without apology. Ugh. And I, it, it was so hard. It, and I still, it, there's one in my mind when I ask anyone to read, I always want to say, and I want to tell everyone why it's not good. 
like before yeah. they even look at it. Like, I know this, I know this needs work. I know this needs work, you know? And she's like, don't do that. Offer it without apology. Get the feedback. Don't slant anyone. And that is, that was hard. That took me probably two years to figure out how to do. I, it still happens in my yet. head. <laughs> yeah. I, it, I mean, two years and this was like, this was during my doctoral work. So it was intense. Oh, wow. I'm asking people, I'm giving people 30 page papers and just smiling and saying, thank you. <laughs> and walking away in my head going, oh, the intro's awful. They're totally going to see that my transition, my transitions are not good and, you know, whatever. So it's a journey. Oh man. And, and, you know, with your doctoral stuff, it's like your baby that you're birthing. Oh, yeah. So it's even more mm-hmm. intense than just like some paper for some, you know, general ed class. Wow. Ooh. I feel that. That's true. I have to say my dissertation though, is an extension of a paper that I wrote for a gen ed class. Really? Mm-hmm. Tell me yep. about that. Well, it started, it was, so my, my dissertation is specific to sexual violence and, and I study, I'm a gender and sexuality scholar and I, I, I'm initially primarily interested in sexual pleasure and sexual mm-hmm. autonomy and empowerment. And those things are also amazing. And when you study sexual pleasure, you continually run into, particularly for, <clears throat> pardon me, for female identified individuals, you run into sexual violence. Yeah. Um, the specter of sexual violence is, a, is um, I don't know what word I want to use. It, it, in, it inhibits sexual pleasure, but there's no blame associated. So I'm trying to be careful with that. Um, it's just there are certain things that female identified folks often don't feel very comfortable jumping straight into because they have to be really careful mm-hmm. because of the specter of sexual violence. And so I was just, it was interesting to me that, that as, I, as I read more and did more research on sexual pleasure, that I continually kind of ran into these, you know, the specter of sexual violence. And so I started processing and thinking through that as an undergrad. And I just wrote a term paper in a gender class about it. And then years later, as I was coming back to my dissertation and choosing a topic, and I had meandered through some interesting things. I had thought about, um, st- I had studied transgender healthcare for a couple of years with my master's degree, and I wanted to do that with my dissertation. I also wanted to do um, sexual violence in the Mormon community because I used to be LDS. And it's interesting to me. I live in Utah, so it was a fascinating topic there. But ultimately, I, the, the event I t- went to take had to do with that paper that I wrote as an undergrad. So it, you never know where it'll take you to write some cool things when you're gen ed. Well, that's the purpose of general education, right? Mm-hmm. To like expose you to all these things that mm-hmm. you wouldn't normally pursue. And yeah, and I'm a huge to think about. Right. I'm a huge fan of liberal, liberal arts education. And I, it always makes me sad when I, I teach my class at the University of Utah has two gen ed attributes. So it does both the social science distribution and the diversity. Mm. And so I get a lot of majors in there because they're like, oh, yay, you know, two for one. And then it frees yeah. up another class. They can take whatever they want. And, and so I get a lot of different majors in there for that reason. And what I often hear from folks is that they, they kind of resent that they're, they're forced to take, I say in air quotes, they're forced to take these classes that they don't think have anything to do with their degree. And I always argue that point because liberal arts education or gen ed stuff is brilliant and it is so good. And it's, it's where we get our well-rounded ways to think, exposure to ideas that we wouldn't normally have if we just went perfectly like down a one major route with no, you know, extemporaneous stuff. 
So I'm a huge fan of gen ed education. I absolutely love it. Gen ed education seems like um, what the the expression of the most like utopian distilled view of what education mm, should be, right? Should be. I love that. True. Yeah. Yeah. But like philosophically. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Huh. Interesting. Well, let's go back a little bit because we are. It, I, I. This is all very interesting. The stuff you're studying and writing about, but. I want to ask you some questions about kind of that process of deciding to go back. So mm-hmm. I guess, I guess, how did you decide to go back? I mean, your kids are, you're 13 in, years into raising kids and you have a family. I think I remember that you were staying home with your kids. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yep, I did. I was an at-home mom for more than a decade. Yeah. Love well, that experience. It was great. Same here, dude. Mm-hmm. And um, so like, what, how did you finally like get that oomph, that push to go return to education? Well, it's, it's funny because I made the decision um, that I was going to go back when I wasn't so wholly focused on the little people in my house. Yeah. And so, because, <laughs> you know, they just take so much of your time. They just really do. And, um, and, I, and so I made a decision. I thought, I mean, it always bothered me. It always hurt. It, you know, that stigma was always there. And I wanted to do something about it from the beginning. But what happened was I was so focused on little people in my house and my community involvement and things like that, that I just thought in my mind, I thought, you know, when my youngest kid is in first grade, then I'll go do it because I would have a full day where I was home alone and I didn't have people like demanding, you know, cookies and all that stuff. So, so I thought, all right. And it was in the future and I didn't. So I just kind of put it there. Well, all of a sudden it came up and my kid was in first grade and I went, oh, wait, I, I had decided I was going to do this thing when my, when my youngest was at this age. And so honestly, it was just time and I just went, but I had made the decision years earlier that it, that was how it would fit my life. And I said, I was going to do it. And so it popped up and off I went. Did you feel did any of that stigma and shame, was that lifted a little with having that plan in place, the decision to do it and not, did that affect Um, it at all? You know what it did for me was it let me, it let me soothe the shame. So when it would pop up, then I would, I, I had a narrative that I could use that I would be able to say to myself, okay, this happened to me. I've made these choices for these particular reasons and I knew why I'd done it. And that's in my future and I'm going to take care of this. So it, it helped me. I, I still felt this. I still, I still feel the stigma actually all the time. It's still part of me. It, it really changed who I am. So I don't know that it lessened the stigma, but it certainly gave me something to push through it with and to be able to kind of find an empowerment again where it's like, you know, that, that is me right now, but that doesn't mean that's always going to be me. Hmm. Oh man, that's pretty powerful. It was good. I'm, I'm, yeah, I was glad I did it. Oh man. So your, your youngest was in first grade. Your oldest was 13, was, presumably. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay. He was you... a seventh grade. <laughs> oh, I, I have an eighth Cuties. grader. They're oh, cute they're the best. I love junior high student. <laughs> or I love junior high age kids. They're, they are cute and dorky. Yeah. They're like, they have all these great statements about life. And you just go, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love let's, that. 
let's hear about it in 10 years. Let's yeah, see. Let's compare exactly. these very these, cute these narratives. I know it's sweet. Uh-huh. So what, so you, you decided on adult high school. What is adult high school? I have these nightmares about being forced <laughs> to go back to high school because I didn't finish. Right. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm like 75 and everybody's 10 there, you know, and it's right. terrible, but like you bet you're like, I'm going to go to high school. Why? Why? Well, it's so it's, it is pretty similar. Um, actually. So there, there were two, I attended two different adult high schools. One was in um, my school district, very small district where we we were self-contained. We only have one high school and they have what they call an alternative high school for students who, you know, ostensibly don't fit well in the mainstream education. And we could really talk about that for a long time because I just personally believe those are people that they don't want to educate. Oh yeah. Um, so I believe they're shunted into um, a, a program that is uh, really not equal. There's not a lot of educational justice in that, and we could talk about that forever. Um, but I went to my my high school or my school district's um, adult high school, and it was exactly that. I was attending um, in a building with all the high school age students during classes, and the bell would ring, and we'd do passing time in the hall, and I'm carrying my books, and they're carrying their books, and I would go attend classes, and it was just like that, and I know that didn't really work for me, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't love it, or it wasn't, I didn't hate it, I would say, but more it was, there was a demand um, on my time during the day, even though I didn't have kids at home, um, I'm heavily involved in a lot of community organizations, some of which were the Parent Teacher Association. I was a PTA president five times. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I could see that. Yeah. <laughs> it taught me so many cool things, actually, that I use all the time. But um, so there were still demands on my time during the day. And so even that didn't work out for me. And so where I ultimately graduated from was in another district. And, um, it was through Granite district actually. And I, I don't know if they, I think they still have the program and it was all evening stuff and I could choose to, yeah, I could choose to attend classes, which I did some classes I attended because I loved how they were. And then some were, um, like work study classes. So I kind of had a mix of both. Um, and that's, that, that is ultimately what, what pushed me, but you know, another cool thing that I had there in the the program that I ultimately graduated from was one of my mom's best friends was an admin in the program. Oh, and she, when she heard, she said, Hey, you know, I heard you went back to high school. How's that going? And I was like, Oh, you know, it's hard because of this and it's hard because of this. And she said, well, our program just gets you straight through that. Cause I didn't even know it was available. So I had a key person to come in and tell me, Oh wait, there's something that serves your needs better. And here it is. And let me literally hold your hand, walk you into this room, take you through the paperwork and tell you what to do. Man, we need more of that. Oh, don't we though? Yeah. Yeah. That's I'm, interesting. I'm so grateful. I don't know if I would have finished. Um, I probably would have, but it just made, it facilitated my life in the, in the midst of pursuing my diploma so much to be able to do this other program. Huh. I at Salt Lake Community College they have um like an online success coach mm-hmm. right and which is part of what I love about slick is that like it's so you know student oriented oh yeah I love slick right mm-hmm. we need that at this level so people can get to that level right oh because I how agree many people are not even taking the first you know step of GED or doing this mm-hmm. kind of program 
because it's scary right it's really scary to decide oh yeah oh crap okay yeah I guess I I do want to do that how (laughs) how do I do it and you know I think there's a way you could facilitate it I would not have been so I'm you know clearly on the records of my high school as a dropout and I would have I would have thought it was wonderful if someone had reached out to me after a couple of years even and said hey you know, we would love to talk to you about a way for you to finish this. And I think they could, they have, they have lists of folks who drop out. They have their contact info. I mean, sometimes it's hard to track people down if you've ever been on a reunion committee, you know what I mean? Um, But you can do it. And so to me, it looks like a service that really could be provided and perhaps it's out there, but it was that one person who, you know, cared about me and knew exactly what to do was pivotal for me. Oh man, that's interesting. That's like a privilege thing though, right? Oh, you know, like having these connections. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. And, and, and that's why I've, I would love to see a facilitated position that would do that, you know, because not everyone has the privilege of knowing, you know, my mom's Marsha. Not everyone has the privilege of knowing her. She's wonderful. I wish everyone did. But what if she could do that and just like, you know, call high school, hey, let me get people from three years ago who didn't graduate five years ago, who didn't graduate 10 years ago, and just find a way to contact and say, let me offer you this way. Yeah, like, I'm your coach, I'm going to help you with this. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's interesting. Um, You talked about reunions. I want to talk about that for a second because yeah. <laughs> um I don't know that I ever have a desire to go to a high school reunion mm-hmm. like nah, I'm pretty uh, I'm all right but <laughs> did you attend any because I I one of my hesitations really is like why didn't I actually graduate and so this class of 2005 I'm not in that class I'm dropout class of 2004 right so like you know yeah so here's so here's what happened um <laughs> I did not go to our five-year and I didn't go to our five-year because, well, two things. They actually, the, 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 so the, the reunion committees are the former student body officers who Mm -hmm. were all my friends. So that was my crowd. That was who I, I hung with. I was a cheerleader. I was, you know, that was my group of folks. And when they got the direction, you know, when you, you're what, 23, when you, when you have your five years, so you're still pretty young. Um, and the direction that they got from the institution was literally that they were not supposed to invite people who had been in the class, but had not graduated from. Yeah. And so, but, <laughs> and I don't know why, oh. I don't know why that was there. It didn't feel, I mean, it seems maybe too, it, it's if I experienced that as punishing, you know, I experienced leaving as punishing anyway, because I was a cheerleader and it was very visible that I left. And, you know, I, so I experienced that as punishing anyway. And then five years later, that really reopened it when a friend of mine who was on the committee said, yeah, we're not supposed to reach out to people who did not graduate. And it was really hard for me later. As I've thought (sighs) about it, I could see that they were probably just trying to, you know, not don't contact every single person who went to school with you for a year or, you know, whatever they were. It was probably not uh, what I experienced it as, but I still think it was a bad idea, you know? Yeah. Cause it rips open that wound. Oh, oh man. I can remember the day my friends graduated and oh, I brutal. was <laughs> 17 and holding my Me newborn too. baby. That is exactly what at I'm my doing. apartment. Crying. I'm sitting there crying. Yeah. And yeah, it was, that was a, so 
I, I would, I'm curious about the motives for the policy. I, you know, I don't really know, but it, I experienced it as incredibly hurtful, incredibly hurtful. And so I didn't go, even though my friends who were organizing the, the event were like, that's stupid. Just come. And who's going to, who's going to say I can't, right? Like, it's not like Mr. Right. You know, our, vi- our VP is going to be standing at the door. And I had some nice words for our VP anyway, if he had been, but um, <laughs> so so I didn't go. I just felt, it, you know, it reinstated that shame to me at that time. Well, 10 years at our 10-year reunion, at that point, you know, you're 28. I still, you know, hadn't gone back to school. But at that point, I'm like, I don't care what they <laughs> – I don't care what they say. My friends are all going to be there. I know the reunion committee. I know they're doing it just because I know their lives and how that is. And so I went to our 10, and then I went to our 20. And they were so fun. They were so fun. Aww. But I do have to say, again, that is a privileged thing. If you go to a high school reunion, you're generally going to find the same group of people that were at the top of the social cliques. That's who wants yeah. to go. That's who's there. That's that. Those are the people you're going to see. You know, folks who feel really marginalized in that space, for one thing, they don't want to, to see everybody. You know, yeah. why? Why go back and do it? And then if you don't have the network that draws you in, like I did, it's easy to, to get lost because as, it, as time goes on, you know, people's contact info changes. And you have to track them down in various ways. It's easier with Facebook now, but, mm-hmm. um, but it was, yeah. So, so for me, having that be a good experience was absolutely attributable to my privilege. And it is not the same way for a lot of people. And that's crappy because it should, um, you know, that the benefits of it were the, the should not be withheld. And it's his. Yeah, I don't know. See, part of me not wanting to go back is that I I wasn't in that kind of like top tier. I didn't have a ton of friends I was dealing. That was like the major onslaught of my, you know, mental health stuff with anxiety and depression during those years. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I don't want to go back to that dark place, you know, but maybe I'll feel differently. When the 20 comes, I already passed the 10 and I was like, hmm, no, still no. Still <laughs> the no. 20 is cool because, I mean, everybody's just kind of chill. Like, <laughs> you know, you, you, you've done your, you've done your education. You're, you're doing the things you're doing. You're, you know, you're living, your, your kids are older. It's fine. Like the guys are bald. The women are heavier. Like we're all just okay. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And, oh, I like that. Yeah, and it's true. Like I, at our five year, that would have been really intimidating. Um, our ten year was, we sat at our table and just like talked about how good people looked, you know. Like, and and it wasn't in, it wasn't in a way that was like, you know, oh, can you believe, you know, da 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 da. We were really happy for people when they looked so great. And at twenty eight, you know, you're still all there, right? Um, but yeah. at 38, you're kind of starting to break down a little and it was okay, you know, and we were just people. And I, so I enjoyed my 20 year a lot more than my 10, even though I really liked my tenure. Interesting. Yeah. So let's see, you, you have been in school for a long ass yep, time, I have. 12 years. <laughs> so you and your kids are grown they now. Are. So what's it, What's it like being in school at the same time as your kids are in college? That is possibly one of the sweetest things I've ever experienced. 
So really? it is. So my older son, I can say their names, right? If I'm comfortable with that. Okay. Sure, yeah. My older son is named yeah, Brock and he's 26. And he is, as he lovingly refers to himself as our love child. So <laughs> I'm still married. That's cute. Yeah. Um, his dad and I, you know, we, we married in high school um, six months before he was born and we're still together. So um, we've been together for almost 30 years. And uh, so Brock thinks this is great. He calls himself our love child. He thinks it's the most wonderful thing ever that, you know, we had this, Aww. this, you know, experience of, you know, getting pregnant with him and then dropping out and forging a family. And he loves that. He thinks it's a great narrative. And, so he, I went back to Slick when he was in ninth grade and it took me four years to get my associate's degree because I couldn't go full time or I guess I could have, but I chose not to go full time so that I could do all the other things I was doing. And so it took me four years to finish and lo and behold, I happened to graduate. We didn't plan this, but I graduated the same year he did. So he and I actually walked together for at Slick. Oh, yes. Cute. And it was one of my most cherished memories. And so with your graduation at Slick at the University of Utah and other places, um, you'll graduate by college. But Slick there, they'd graduate everyone together. And so what that meant was that he and I got to do all the graduation stuff together. So we hung out in the hallway for all those hours in your regalia and, you know, all of that stuff. That's it's so funny. But we did all of that together and I have approximately a thousand selfies from that day because we kept oh, yeah. taking pictures of ourselves because we thought it was so fun. And then we, you know, they said our names right in a row and, and we walked across the stage, you know, right after each other. And it was so fun. That was absolutely wonderful. So the thing that I loved about that in particular is that by the time Brock got to the institution of Slick, he'd done con concurrent enrollment um, but it's a little different, you know, I mean, the registration process is different. Navigating campus obviously is not a thing. So he, when he went to Slick to finish out his associate's degree, actually he went to Slick to get his second associate's degree. He has two because he graduated with one, but he wanted another. So he went there to, um, on campus and was completely unfamiliar with the processes, but I knew them all. So I'm like, Oh, NBD, this is how you do it. And I could, and I, was perfectly familiar with the website. I was perfectly familiar with the campuses and, you know, could, and so I was able to smooth all of that for him. Cause you know how there's that, there's an institutional knowledge that you don't have. Oh yeah. <laughs> and yeah. yeah. And I had it all. So um, I was able to help him with that stuff. And he's been very grateful that it made it a lot easier. So he did that. We graduated together and then we went to the university of Utah together. We both transferred the same semester. And what I find funny about that is that, I didn't have the institutional knowledge previously, but I figured it out sooner than he did. So, so even, <laughs> even though we were still starting at the same time, he was still doing the same things. Mom, I need to register for a class. How do I do it? And um, because I had figured it out for myself because I registered the day I'm allowed, right? And, yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I will say, uh, us, us non-traditional students, we are badass. We do cool things like that. And so he would then call me and, and, uh, and I could talk him through that. So we did that together. Now I finished my bachelor's degree a lot sooner than he did, um, for a couple of reasons. One, I was on scholarship. I had an honors scholarship, which we should talk about because everyone needs to know about the scholarship. It can save you tens of thousands of dollars. But, um, so I was on this scholarship and it required, um, full-time 
work, which I hadn't done before because I had been busy doing other things. So I was, I was going full time because my scholarship demanded it. And then he took a couple of years off in the middle. So, and then he changed his major three times as we do, (laughs) which is totally (laughs) fine. So he wound up graduating with his bachelor's degree. He just finished um, his, his, well, he finished it a couple of years ago. He's an, he's an anthropologist with an emphasis in archeology span Oh, that's so cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Emily. He, he is. He is. I gave birth to Indiana Jones and it makes me. Oh, I yeah, you did. yeah, it makes me sound so much cooler than I am. But, but <laughs> he 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 went and 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 dug plague victims in Italy for a summer. He what? yeah, he does his work. Um, he's primarily interested in lithics, so stone tools. Um, and of course, in the we have uh, access to some really brilliant archaeological information here in Utah so he actually yeah. was he's that he is he, he may not be the only anymore but at the time he was the only undergrad that the Bureau of Land Management had ever given um, th- his own research area to wow and that that was because um, Brock had some opportunities for working for um, an archaeological firm to do some field work and you have to have a certain number of days in the field before the BLM will allow you to go in to do your own research and he happened to get those as an undergrad so he has a designated area that he does his own work and it's very cool so like I gave birth to this person who makes me sound like a badass it's really fun and um, yeah dude oh man so the anthropology department they were in the process of creating an archaeological designation for the degree but they didn't have it yet so he just delayed graduation until they had it because he wanted that on his transcript as you can imagine yeah so he yeah so he just graduated last year and it was it was so much cooler than I thought it would be and I knew it would be cool I knew it would be cool, but it was so much cooler than I thought it would be. And so he graduated and just applied and, and is accepted and has received funding for his graduate work at the University of Utah. So we are now both <laughs> grad students at the U as well, which is really fun. Man, this is adorable. It's, it's so fun. Yeah. And then I think by the time I graduate with my associates, Hannah will be just graduating high school unless she does like a concurrent enrollment thing. Mm-hmm. So, oh, so you could do, you I could like do this path this. too. Yeah, yeah exactly. And these are things, you know, that we didn't like plan together, but they wound up being some of these incredibly sweet experiences that are really, really wonderful. So that's fun. And then my younger son, Josh is, he's an artist. He's a free spirit. Um, he has a learning disability and so he does not love school um Mm. he had so I (laughs) I made him go I made him attend (laughs) when he graduated from high school I made him attend a semester and I said you just you have to do this and I just forced him to do that and he went and he didn't love it and so he doesn't know what he'll do he's he's not really interested in pursuing um, a degree right now per se he's he's young he's only 21 um and but I'm fine with that I'm absolutely fine with that I you know the value that I place on education and what I think it can do in the world um I think it's beautiful I mean clearly I love it I clearly I buy into the system you know as I get a PhD and my plan is to teach in higher ed but mm-hmm. I'm also supremely conscious of the ways we fail particular learners and the way we the ways we fail um 
even even some groups, we could really, you know, collect this into into um, broader than just individuals. I mean, there's educational justice is a is a um, it's a tender topic to me. And I see the ways that the institutions fail. And um, so I don't I don't think someone has to have this per se to be successful. And there are all kinds of cool things that the world has to offer you um, outside of a traditional classroom. And I, I love, he teaches me so much about that. And um, he reminds me too, after all the years of in public schools with him being so frustrated and hating it, hating being there because, you know, we're really designed for one kind of learner. And that wasn't him. Now it is me. And that's an interesting thing because I am the kind that, that works really well in the system that we have. Therefore I'm the one that will get the, the um, initials after my name. Doesn't mean I'm smarter. Doesn't mean I'm better. It means the system works for me. And for him, like we all did as part of, as part of the testing to, um, uh, to ascertain the, the disability, part of it is like extensive IQ testing. And my kid is brilliant. So my younger son was simultaneously in the gifted and talented program and in special ed. Oh man. I bet there are so many of those kids mm-hmm. though. Oh yeah. Because we've decided to, we've decided to measure brilliance through outcome. And there are so right, many yeah. things between brilliance and outcome that could, that, that could interfere, you know, with that thing. And, and besides outcomes, what are we even, why are we deciding that the ways we measure outcomes are okay? I mean, we are not creative in our outcome measurement. We are not creative in some of these things, but to, to get into the gifted and talented program, they're not measuring outcome. They're measuring um, ability. They're looking at creative thought. They're looking at, you know, IQ, stuff like that. So it's, so to get into the program is different than to be like, oh, this is the top, you know, scorer on these things. This is the person who gets the top grades. They're looking at something different. And we should, I just feel like we should do more of that. See, my experience with Hannah and Gifted and Talented was different. Maybe it's different districts do it differently, but she's a brilliant kid. She never tested into those programs. Mm. She just never tested high enough. But I think she also has some test anxiety stuff. Mm -hmm. But, um. That's interesting. Well, there. I think that's the way it should be done. Then is this way that yeah. affected right because Josh because is... he would have been yeah. if they if they had looked for like the top performers in the class that was not him. You know he struggled on every level in those things, but they looked at different things. And here's a here's an interesting thing. The principal had made the decision that he should not receive both sets of services. Because that's quite a lot of service. If you think about it in a public yeah, school system, it it's quite a lot of service to go to one kid. So special ed yeah. is, is a high, it's an intense service kind of situation, but so is the gifted and talented program. And so the, so the, the principal had made the decision without informing us that he should not get both of those um, sets of services. And so the first year that he could have been in the program, he wasn't. But one of his teachers let it slip that he was supposed to have been. And I was livid. I was so angry. I was so angry. Well, the person running the program happened to be a very good friend of mine. So I went behind the Uh principal's back, talked to my friend. I said, I think this is the case. Can you just check for me? 
And so she went back, she dug up his, his tests. She ran him as if he was a new student and he did place. And nice. it changed his experience because he had, this is fourth grade for this kid, right? So he had an idea about what a special ed kid was like, and it wasn't a good idea. He had beliefs yeah. about that. Of course, they, they, don't, they don't come from nowhere, right? So he was yeah. himself experienced educational stigma and shame. And he had an idea of what a special ed kid was like. And then he had an idea about what a gifted and talented kid was like. And for him to suddenly be um, able to consider that he was not only a special ed, but also gifted and talented was a, it was, it blew his mind in all good ways. And it totally mm -hmm. changed the way he thought about himself and his approach to education. Now he still struggled. Right. I mean, he still he had accommodations yeah. his whole all the way up to where he graduated through high school. He didn't love the experience. It was so hard for him trying to condition that that boy to sit in a classroom and do the things that, you know, you're expected to do was really, really hard on him. That's not the kind of learner mm -hmm. he is, but it helped him think of himself differently to be both gifted and talented, you know, along with the special ed. And I, I feel like we could do more of that. And it wouldn't be that challenging either um, to do. Well, maybe it would be. I shouldn't say that. That's, that's too easy for me to say, probably. But we could certainly take more, um, more of the philosophies of that program and apply them to regular education. You know, it would be possible. I hate to give um, public ed teachers more jobs because they're so overworked. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, and, and so perhaps I don't know where I would put the responsibility for that, but it's a philosophical shift in how we look at education, right? And yeah. so those are my, we're an, I think we're an interesting educational family because we have a lot of these kind of different ways to look at it. And, and I do have to critique myself quite a bit because I am, you know, clearly buying into participating in and will perpetuate a system that I can see is also harmful to certain people and groups of people. Do you think harmful or doesn't meet the needs of, um, or are I've, those tied together? Certainly tied together, but I would say there are some people who are harmed. So if you're um, like, for instance, I'm sure you've heard the controversy over the, the textbooks in Texas. That's, you yeah. know, that said that we had workers come from other countries, come from Africa to work on the plantations. Oh boy. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's, that's harmful. harmful. Yeah. So, and, and so I, but I, I do like the distinction because there, and, and it's probably not even really a linear spectrum, but there are certainly conversations that should happen together. Um, and we could get pretty deep into some nuance um, when we start thinking, okay, what is, if we pull apart, doesn't serve and harmful that could allow us to have some really uh, descriptive kind of wonderful conversations that I think would serve a lot of people better. Um, not just groups of people that we can obviously see are clearly minoritized by the system. So I like, I like that you bring that in actually, cause that like it broadens the conversation quite a bit. And there are some people who are simply not served um, who also should have a better opportunity. Right. And so when I, when I create, when I craft, craft my own curriculum, and my own, the way I develop my courses to teach, I am always, always mindful of my Josh. Always. Yeah. Because I think what kind of, what kind of learners are coming into and battling, battling the system that is not built for them. 
And so I try, I do everything. I've, I've done a lot of work with this in my own like pedagogical practices and my own philosophies of, of teaching and, and knowledge production. Um, I have purposely thought outside of the system that we have to try and address any of the, any of the needs that a person could have when they walk in my classroom. Now that doesn't do anything to, you know, help the people actually get in there with those institutional barriers and the cultural barriers that prevent them from even getting in my classroom in the first place. But there are always some. And the thing that I find cool too, is that even for traditional learners who the system works for, these, they experience this as great. They're, my classes are very different than most classes that they have, have gone and experienced. And it benefits everyone to address education in a little bit different way. Yeah, that's interesting. Oh, man. I want to talk more about this. I'm going to have my stepdad on in a couple of weeks. He, um, Gary Dorr, mm-hmm. he, you know, was the, he was the English chair at Weber for a while. And he has his um, doctorate in teaching teachers. Oh, Yay! that's awesome. Is it an ed doc? I yeah. think so, about an ed doc. I'm like, oh, maybe when I'm done with a PhD, I need an ed doc. <laughs> <laughs> just keep going. I know. Keep Why not? Why not? Up, man. I do feel a little I, bit. Like I'm doctor, 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 doctor. That'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, uh, let's see. I want to shift a little bit back to when your kids were little mm-hmm. and you were going back. Um, what was the, what were kind of the practical changes, maybe difficulties in your day-to-day functioning of your family when you went back to school? Cause you talk about going in the evening and stuff and, mm-hmm. I mean, and that's great and wonderful that there are so many options, like I'm going online, but it does take time away in my day and it shifts how our little, you know, community within this house functions. Absolutely. I, (laughs) I will say this, this, I have one of my favorite stories. I was at a party with my, with my sons and their partners. And we were, we suddenly started talking about like when they were little you know, little tiny kids around the house. And, you know, before I was doing the intense educational journey that I am now. And so I pulled out my phone and I started going through all these pictures of my kids from when they were little and I'm there with their partners and their partners are like, Oh, look how cute he was. He's wearing a grocery sack and nothing else. He's wearing, you know, like (laughs) that stuff that little kids do. And so Uh my, my son's partners are loving these cute little people that they've not seen, but now they love as adults. Right. And all I'm doing is going, look how clean my house was. Look how clean my house was. My floor was vacuumed. There's nothing on the countertops. How did this happen? So I will be honest when I say there are things that had to go and I had to decide what mattered, you know, and, and I made the choice that, taking time to study and study well because I was insistent on getting A's and I graduated from Slick with a 4.0 nice. um, and that's why I got the honor scholarship which everyone can do it's a it's called the honors transfer at entrance or sorry the 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 transfer scholarship of honors at entrance and it paid for my bachelor's degree and then I was accepted into my doctoral program fully funded so I have never paid a dime of tuition after I got my associate's degree ever Nice. And wow. yeah, so everyone should look into it. I, I believe it's from any transfer institution to any public institution, at least in Utah. And if, and, and if you have a three, eight, a cumulative three, eight or higher, just look into it because it will just, it, it's not even one you have to like say, Hey, please fund me. 
it's just, you just get it. So all you have to do hmm. is fill oh, out. A, cool. Yeah, it's so cool. All you have to do is fill out a, a piece of paper and send it in. So I knew I had it. I didn't even have to worry. So I made the decision to pursue. I didn't have that really in my mind. I just wanted the A's because they made me feel better. And they did soothe the, sig- the stigma and the shame, I have to say. All of those A's getting yes. continual A, 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 A. And so I made a decision about what was, was important. And I allowed certain things to go to slide. I don't like any of these words, but <laughs> for lack of better terms, um, I allowed things to slide while I focused on my studies and I had to decide what was important. And I also had to like bring on more and, and be more demanding of um, what my family's contributions were. And so these dig into actually some pretty deep gender and sociological issues, yeah. <laughs> as you yeah, can dude. imagine, um, uh-huh. but we all navigated it and, and they were willing, which was also wonderful. Um, so we just kind of worked it out, but there are absolutely sacrifices that had to be made that I wasn't one of those people that could do everything. You know, I mean, I, I, I just, that's not me. That's never been me. And I have a certain amount of bandwidth and I'm going to offer it to the things that are, you know, at the top. I, I have to say, I'm excited to get done with the, with the PhD program because I would really like to clean behind my fridge because I think it hasn't been done for three years now. And there are certain things that I'm excited to get back to, but I've just made a decision uh-huh. to tolerate it right now. And it's not very fun. Yeah. Oh, I get that. I look around and I'm like, dang, it's nasty yeah. in here. That and sleep. You know, sleep was really hard. Um, And then there also was a gradual shift and it depended on what I was pursuing. This didn't really happen um, too much until the last year of my bachelor's degree. But there there wound up being a gradual shift of what what my life emphasis was about. And so if you if you hear particularly um, women, particularly stay at home moms, like we, we when we when that's the focus of our life for that time. And we talk about it and we say, well, you know, for me, my kids are first and foremost, my family's first and foremost, and all of that. And I finally got to a point where I had to say, my education is first and foremost. My family is fine. They're being taken care of. That's because I have an incredibly supportive partner. And we had this great experience. And, and my young son, Josh, he was about, I think, he, he, he was either 11 or 12 when this happened. He experienced a shift in who his primary caregiver was. So it had always been me. I'd been at home with him for all those years. I was the one that, you know, did, did all the picking up and went on the field trips and, you know, all of that stuff. That was me for years and years. And then as I shifted and it became apparent that my education was going to become more demanding, particularly when I got into grad school, um, a lot of those primary caregiver responsibilities started falling to my husband. And Josh is the one that, that he's a very reflective kid and he's incredibly brilliant and So he actually noticed that his primary caregiver had been mom and all of a sudden was dad. And so he was able to experience, he thought he thinks it's cool. He's still, when he talks about it, he thinks it's really neat. He's like, I got to know both of my parents in that way. And he thought that was, that was really awesome. But that is yeah, really awesome. But you know how kids like, especially now that we have cell phones and you call either mom or dad, like you have, you're calling one person. And there's a, you know, yeah. for me, there's no way I would have ever called my dad for anything. You know, it's always, and even, you know, calling my parents landline, if my dad answered the phone, I'd be like, hey, is mom there? Like, I wasn't going to talk to him, <laughs> you know? And, and I, you know, it's kind of a natural, when, when you have the roles assigned the way you do, this kind of a natural thing that falls out that way. 
But for Josh, he was like, wow, I used to call mom whenever I forgot something and I needed something. And now all of a sudden I call dad. So he paid attention to that. And then of course he's older. I mean, at this point he's in, you know, junior high and high school can, is very, you know, he can take care of himself in a lot of ways. He doesn't have to be picked up all the time and things like that. So, so he was um, self-sufficient on his own. And then my husband was taking on a lot of these um, primary caregiver responsibilities. So we did have to shift those roles. And that was directly because of um, the investment that I had to then give to my education. Hmm. That's really cool for Kelly, yeah, for your husband, he, to like get to take on that role. Mm-hmm. And, and he loved it. Dig in. And, you know, in fact, he said, I mean, he did it. And he was very actively involved. Um, like even when they were little, for instance, he never missed a single parent teacher conference and that, yeah, that was not common. Um, his, for, for Brock, especially, uh, you know, that was, that was not, I mean, Gen X fathers are, they're far more hands-on than like baby boomer fathers for sure. Um, they're nowhere near millennial and Gen Z, by the way, like millennial fathers are there, (laughs) you know, they are there. It is the norm to have, you know, dads at a parent teacher conference, um, but it was not so much for, for, for Gen X generation men. And my husband always did it. So for Brock, it was very unusual. And he would, and he, his schedule at the time was not so easy. He couldn't, Kelly's schedule, my husband's schedule, he had to work really hard to make that time during the day because it was difficult for him, but he always did it. And so he had been, you know, very hands-on with all of that stuff, but he quite enjoyed this, like, oh, I'm the one that needs to run over the lunch money. I'm the one that takes the crap I forgot my science textbook and I'm going to, you know, take it to the school. Or I, you know, fell down the stairs and I need a new pair of pants, like that kind of stuff. And he, he did love it. He really, really liked it. It's really rewarding mm-hmm. when you dig in, yeah. right? And then he started it's really serving, hard, yes, but exactly. really rewarding. Then he started serving on school community councils and he always served on my PTA boards. Um, he was usually the only guy there. Um, but we've always felt like if one of us got a responsibility, the other one kind of did too. So, um, so he was always involved on that level. And so for him, I think it just felt like this, like really beautiful fulfillment of this thing that, that he was, that he was like usually the only man there and he just loved it. He really loved that experience. And it was, and it, it helped our entire family grow. You know, we all saw different things. We all experienced things that we hadn't really set out to to pursue because we didn't know they'd be awesome, but it turned out they were. And it was, it was cool. And, and I credit, I mean, so much of that with me willing to being willing to move myself out of that role and say, I'm actually going to take a back seat in the day-to-day care of my kid and pursue my education. And saying that, especially as a Mormon, that was, that was a, it was a controversial thing to say. And people were always like an eyebrow raised but I insisted on being honest about it and I was, I finally became comfortable with it because my kids were okay. They were fine. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, wow. Interesting. You know that man, that is so interesting. I see at, I just went to Hannah's parent teacher conference two weeks ago and I didn't, I I don't think I saw a single kid represented by both parents Austin and I weren't there together you know and so there were but there were a lot of dads I'd say it was a pretty Mm. even mix of dad or mom but they were not both able to be there that is interesting that that sounds like an economic pressure to me 
Yeah, it definitely is for our mm-hmm. family. But I think, I mean, Austin would love to go be there, but yeah. he works swings. That's when he works. He can't yeah, take exactly. time off for every single thing or mm-hmm. we don't get to pay our mortgage, mm-hmm. you know? You know, and that's, that so. is another part, I believe, of, um, of educational justice, that we have set up a system that assumes parental availability during particular hours. Oh, yes, 100%. As a single mom when Hannah was mm-hmm. little, I just, I had so much resentment that I, I just couldn't do so many of these things. Yeah. I, I wasn't educated. I had a shitty job that, you know, and when you work those jobs, there's a lot less time available to you. There's not a lot of PTO and mm-hmm. whatever. You just, you don't show up, you get fired. Right. And so, and then, you know, so. yeah. And somehow we've associated that <sighs> with like, um, someone's, uh, like the goodness of their ability to pursue the American dream as if we're going to, and their, and their ability. Uh, well, and their value is absolutely. How, are you a good parent? Yeah. Are you showing up to these things? Do you have money to buy all of the extra crap mm-hmm. we're selling your kid at yep. school now? Yeah. Oh boy. Oh yeah. boy. I have so many feelings. On yeah. This. this is deep because <laughs> the, because the, so I, I'm really interested in what you just said about not about having kids there with one parent or the other. Um, because I, I don't know that the research has looked at that. What they, they were particularly interested in, in men's involvement in things like parent-teacher conference. But I don't know that I've seen any work that talks about both parents being able to be there, which implies then that both of those parents have that privilege, right? And yeah. so I love this. I, this, this might be a paper, Emily. <laughs> we oh, should yeah, totally maybe. write this because, you know, th- and that would make sense as far as a research trajectory, trajectory to be like, oh, are more men being involved? But that's an additional layer of question. Are both parents able to be involved? Right? Well, then you have to define involvement. Exactly. What does it mean to be mm-hmm. involved? That's a complicated oh, question. Oh, certainly. And especially, yeah, there, there are a lot of ways that this would, that, and should be complicated. Like, I really, I really appreciate thinking of it in these terms because it's, yeah, it's a, it's a different, it's a different thing even to have, even, even though like what is typically happening is in two parent households, um, I'm certain that people are like negotiating, well, who can go, right? Like who, whose life is more uh, workable that day? Right. And those things mm-hmm. are absolutely inherently tied to privilege. When I used to work at a drugstore, I couldn't just be like, Hey, I'm leaving right now. I mean, I would have, you know, <laughs> that was not a thing that could happen. And so I have no doubt that that has economic pressures that are, at- are attached to that through no fault of a family, but yet we're assigning value. We're assigning, um, uh, ideas about goodness of parenting and validity of parenting to those things. So I think you can go even further and say, not just, you know, people's, um, uh, how many people in the family are working mm-hmm. and availability, but you can also say like physical ability Absolutely. to get places mm-hmm. at certain times, um, yeah. people with mental illness. Right. I know that my anxiety has made choices for mm. me that I wouldn't yep. make until, you know, and so it's, Man, being a good parent, there's so much guilt and so much <laughs> judgment perceived or real. And I mean, I feel guilty about being in school right now, but I, I think it's a good thing for my kids yeah, it is. to have an educated mom, a mom mm-hmm. with so, who feels self-worth. But again, I don't know. I mean, I could, I could always give myself more guilt. I'm a Jew. So like, <laughs> guilt is like the default, right, you know? Exactly. I will say this, that well, the Coco- research says you're right. 
Yeah. See, I know that. I know that. But talk to my feelings. Right? Well, talk tell to your them. feelings about they the research. Know. Maybe that, you know, some, I mean, sometimes they're, they're... <laughs> sometimes they're, they're assuageable, <laughs> right? By saying like, hey, I know what you're doing to me right now, but I have this citation, this citation, and you can shut up. Yeah. Listen, I know that we think that I'm a garbage person and just trash for wanting to do mm-hmm. anything for myself. But listen, yep, here it is. Black and white. Coco. Oh, you are amazing. This has been such a great Thanks, conversation. So Thank you for talking this to us. This has been really fun. All right. Well, I want to have you back. Let's cool. follow up after uh, I talk to I talk to my stepdad about these education issues oh education i want you justice. to come back and talk to me again it is such yeah. a that's such a fascinating thing for me and it totally it it, it imbues my my whole life as i and, and what i'm pursuing actually so i'm passionate about that we could talk about it for a long time we didn't even talk about sex how'd that happen hey <laughs> let's come you come back and we'll talk about sex. every time i'm like at a at a i have a friend who calls me her party trick because <laughs> she she'll take me so i'll go to a party at her house and she's moved and she'll like bring me up to people and say hey this is my friend Coco and we inter- you know hi how nice to meet you da 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 and then she always turns to her current her other friends and says ask her what she studies and then oh. all of a sudden and it's all it's so funny you know it's so funny so the conversations that have stemmed from that are incredibly funny so I'm used to that I'm used to what I study being like the most interesting thing about me and it is truly and so so usually I do stuff like this and I'm talking about sex so that was great to go like a route of educational justice instead. <laughs> well, I mean, you talk about what you're interested in and passionate yeah. about, and you can always lead the conversation back to that, whatever you're talking mm-hmm. about. If you're interested enough in this one topic, we can be talking about engineering and hey, yeah. let's talk about sex. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> I usually do. There's a lot of engineering in sex. It's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. All right. Coco. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been a joy. All, All right. right. You have a great you day. You as well. Bye. Bye. See, definitely worth sticking around for an hour long interview. Uh, Coco, thank you. That was fantastic. And we got a lot of uh, insight. Yeah, we got so much of the insight. We have too much insight. We're canning it. So we have some for winter. We just like, we're trying to give it away. We're donating some to a homeless shelter. So much insight. Oh man, thank you for that. You really, you know, filled up our insight bucket. Um, uh, oh yeah, big news. This podcast is on iTunes. We're rolling with the big boys. iTunes. So you can like, or you can subscribe. You can rate it. Please rate it because that's how other people find out about the show if you rate and review it. Like my friend Sharon did, she left us a lovely review, and uh, for that, she gets a little song. Here we go, here we go. Her name's Sharon. She was Karen. She left that review. Her name's not Karen. Her name's Sharon. Her name is Sharon, but she's caring, and she left us a review. Yeah. Thank you, Sharon. If you leave me a review, I will sing a song for you. It's probably going to be worse than that one, which is not saying a lot. No, it is saying a lot. No, it's not. Anyway, that was a bad song. (laughs) Okay. Oh, Emily, come on. Pull it together. Uh, You can support the show by going to our Patreon page, patreon.com backslash you'll have that podcast. I don't actually have any, like, subscriber levels or anything right now, Um, but you can go there and see updates on things like chickens and horse poop and, you know, stuff. I post some stuff. My cute, cute, wonderful dog is on there. 
and she's sniffing the newer and it's very cute. So go check that out. Send me an email. You'll have that podcast at gmail.com. Um, I would love to talk to you. You can download the Anchor app and record a voicemail for me and you could be on the show. Hey, cool, right? I could pretend to interview you with just your recording or like, you know, we could just, uh, we can add some more to the insight bucket. Oh no, some spilled out. We need a little bit more. So please leave me some feedback. Yeah, we love you. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening to the show. I love you very much. It was nice to be with you today. I am a friend in your ears and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, hang tight. Yeah, 10 out of 10. Rad. Thank you.